Welcome to Stand to Reasons, hashtag STRask Podcast. I'm Amy Hall, and Greg Kogel's here with me. We're here to answer your questions. Hello, Greg. Let's start with one from Ethan. An exvangelical Instagram post said, In the upside-down kingdom of heaven, a paradigm in which God so clearly values humility, I can't imagine God would expect certainty from us that would grow arrogance. God requires faith, not certainty. Thoughts? Well, um, yeah. Uh, Well, first first of all, with regards to Scripture, um, that person is wrong. God um, uses the word no regarding issues of faith all through the Scripture. So, um, I'll give you some illustrations. So, we have the ten plagues, all right? Ten plagues, why are the plagues given back in the book of Exodus? So that they shall know that there's a God in Israel. Uh, Knowledge is certainty. Now, um, certainty, by the way, is a strictly speaking, is a psychological thing. You can be certain about things that are false. Things that one knows are true. So, um, and and I'm just taking certainty for knowledge here. Now, is it possible that certainty can breed um, arrogance? Of course. So can uncertainty, like is being suggested here. God doesn't want us to be certain. He wants us to be filled with faith. Okay, well, then you who are filled with faith— do you think there's any liability of being proud about the faith that you have over and against those awful people who want certainty? No, I mean, the human condition is such that either side can breed immorality or an attitude regarding it that is inappropriate. But as to the attitude itself, ten times with ten plagues, so that you will know that there is a God in Israel. It's right there in, in Exodus, okay, from chapter 3. And and up until the ex- Exodus proper, okay. Uh, fast forward to um, the First Kings eighteen, and this is Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and that's when there's a contest between the gods, and Yahweh wins. But the prayer that the prophet offers is very short and very simple, and it entails the notion so that they shall know. All right. Uh, Fast forward to Mark chapter 2. There's Jesus, paralytic. Your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive his sins but God alone? In order that you will know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, arise, take up your pallet, and walk. Knowledge again. Fast forward to uh, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday. Um, uh, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has caused him to be Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Notice in every single one of those circumstances, we are invited to know with a certitude, in the last example, that our beliefs are actually true. Okay, and one final thing in 1 John chapter 5, um, he who has the Son has eternal life. John writes, I am writing these things to you who believe in the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So, from the beginning to the end, time and time and time again, Scripture itself 
affirms that eternal life and the reality of God are things that we can have the highest level of confidence in, even that we could have the level of confidence that accomplishes knowledge for us. And there is nothing at all wrong with that, unless you want to affirm a contradiction between the verse that was cited and the application that was made of it, because the Scripture doesn't make that application. The only concern is, well, people who are certain can get arrogant. Well, and people who are certain may not be arrogant. And people who are uncertain but exercise faith, leap of faith, they can be arrogant too. So you're not getting any safety here by by abandoning certainty. What you're doing is you're abandoning what the Scripture actually enjoins you to embrace. Mm-hmm. And just to follow up on that, Greg, here here's a passage from Hebrews 10, 32 through 36, because it talks about the purpose of having this confidence. Um, so here's what it says. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, and earlier it says, uh, where does it say, what does that mean? Receiving the knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. Um So after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Knowing. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, Mm. for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Wow. So it combines the idea, our confidence is what helps us to endure. Right. And so that confidence is morally neutral. It's not, it can be used for bad or for good. It enables you to endure what you're doing and and endure all sorts of sufferings and to persevere, to keep going, to um, to work hard. So the problem is not... The confidence, the problem's not the certainty. The problem is what is your confidence in? So if your confidence is in bad ideas, then you will do bad. If your confidence is in good ideas, then you will do good. Mm-hmm. So what we, where we need to fight back is the bad ideas, not the confidence. We should be strengthening confidence right. in order to increase the good that's done in the world. I just thought of a tactical move here. Yeah, that, uh, questions that could be asked for somebody makes this point, and you, the question could be, are you confident that this is the, the right way to see this? Yes, I am. Of course I am. I wouldn't be telling you. Are you certain that it's the right way to think it, see it? Yeah. Well, is your certainty then an example of arrogance? No. Okay, well, how is it that your certainty can avoid being arrogant, who are not contesting their claim here that it's not they're not arrogant, and and but certainty of another view, an alternate view, is going to be arrogant. How how does that work? Now let him explain it. Now the answer is it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh but I, it just occurred to me those are some questions that might be used. That that was actually going to be my next point because what I found is that a lot of times the people who say this are very confident and have a lot of certainty about their ideas. And what this becomes is it's a way of undermining the ideas they disagree with. If they can undermine your confidence and your certainty, 
then they can they can um, decrease your effectiveness.、Mm-hmm. Effectively, that's what's happening, and that's what I've seen a lot of. Especially postmodernists will do this. They have their postmodernist view of reality,、mm-hmm. and they're very sure of that view. Absolutely, but they spend a lot of time trying to. Lessen the the convictions of those who disagree with them. That way, they can get their own ideas out there.、Right. And I don't know. Maybe they're doing that, realizing it, or maybe not. But that's effectively what happens. But、um, I I came across this this quote by G.K. Chesterton, Greg, that I wanted to read. That's on this very topic. Here's what he said: What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition. Modesty has settled upon the organ of conviction, where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. The old humility was a spur that prevented a man from stopping,、hmm. not a nail in his boot that prevented him from going on. For the old humility made a man doubtful about his efforts, which might make him work harder. But the new humility makes a man doubtful about his aims, which will make him stop working altogether. Wow! We are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. <laughs> oh my goodness! Magnificent! And by the way, that was a hundred years ago. Yeah, can you believe he that? He predated Lewis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So.、Um, This has been a problem for a while, and I just wanted to point out one last thing on this: that William Wilberforce actually said it was his certainty that that he was right that kept him going. Yeah, he specifically said that about、Through、his work the against the slave trade. Yeah. So we don't want to we don't want to fight confidence and certainty. We want to fight false ideas, bad ideas, harmful ideas.、Mm-hmm. Okay, Greg. Here is a question from Jane Gordner. What is the difference between fearing God or just living in fear? Um. Well, just living in fear. There is. I'm. I'm just presuming here that she's referring to living in fear of God, because it just seems pretty obvious that. If we're fearing all kinds of other things, that's not a good thing.、Uh, the enjoinder, it, 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 we are enjoined rather to fear God and not to live in fear of God, the way she is characterizing it. And the difference here is a perfect love casts out all fear. All right, for for one、mm-hmm. on the one hand. So there,、uh, if if the fear is a fear of judgment. Or a fear of recrimination of some sort, or condescension, or all kinds of these things that we might fear from a greater power. The Scripture specifically tells us that this is not what we are to understand from God. Jesus says, "Come unto all, to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble of heart. All right, my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls." Kind of thing. But the Scripture does speak, especially in the Old Testament, about a fear of God, and this is a, an awareness of His awesomeness, His greatness, and His power. So we can be, if, and I'm trying to think of the best analog here for people. <clears throat> we can have our 
a a relationship with a great, very great and powerful figure and be awed by that figure who provides at the same time a place of safety for us. Now, that place of safety for us, though, does not give us latitude to treat this uh, great and mighty and powerful individual um, as a peer, as a buddy, as a chum, because there's a big difference between us and them, even though we are we have safety and acceptance by them. This, by the way, as just an aside, is one of the things that I was troubled by in the relationship of John the Baptist and Jesus in the series The Chosen. Because on the one hand, John the Baptist is saying from the text, one's coming after me whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. I'm not even worthy to touch his feet is what John the Baptist says. And then there's a scene in The Chosen, which is extra biblical, where John is getting in an argument with Jesus, and where Jesus is trying to give him some counsel, and he's pushing back. And they're completely and utterly on a peer level. And it's characterized that John thinks he's right, and he's correcting Jesus. So, on the first case, you do have this sense of awe of the individual of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, <clears throat> in the biblical account, but then in the extra-biblical material in the movie, <clears throat> that is completely superseded in an inappropriate way, this relationship <clears throat> that John has with Jesus. You know, they're, they're contemporaries, they're peers, they're colleagues, and, uh, you know, they're banging back and forth. And uh, that, I thought, was... Uh, it, 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 this is an example of, of John the Baptist not fearing in the sense that I'm talking about. Jesus, in light of Jesus, exalted office and exalted self. Remember, John said, he existed before me. John is six months older than Jesus in in an <laughs> <in> earth age, <laughs> but he existed before me. So he was aware of the deity of Christ, but here he is you know, banging away. So um, this is what I think is captured here in this concept of being afraid of God on the one hand and the fear of the Lord. Um, Non-Christians ought to be afraid of God. Mm -hmm. Um, it it, it, It is dangerous to try to even approach a morally perfect being. This is why we only approach under the cover of the cross. That's what it means to to come in the name of Jesus. That's what that means. We are covered by him. We have an advocate in the Father, with the Father in Jesus Christ. John says in First John one two. So we got we got all of this, and but that but but if we're not a Christian, we're 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 in trouble. If we are a Christian, we're adopted sons, but Dad is still Dad. Uh, like to the max. <laughs> I think most people have had some sort of interaction with someone who. Um had a lot of authority, you knew you were loved by them, but you also were aware that you should not mess with them. It could be a dad, it could be a teacher, it could be anything like that. And so we, I think we have that category. If we think back, we can understand what that is. So I think it's, it's an awareness of the person's authority. Mm-hmm. It's an awareness of their, um, yeah, I guess that's the only way to say it, their, their authority. You don't have the right to mess with them but at the same time, you know that they love you. Yeah. So what came to mind for me was in First Peter in chapter 1, right after Peter 
he makes a big point that salvation is all by grace, and he says, "Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." So he's doing this in the context of grace. But here's what he says right after that: If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ.、Mm-hmm. In other words, it's even though we know we have been redeemed, we are completely we're forgiven, we're God's children, we're adopted. We conduct ourselves in fear, knowing that God is judge, because that is the appropriate、uh, response to authority,、mm-hmm. and we don't take advantage of that. In fact, we do better because we know we've been we've been、uh, redeemed by something that can't fail. So those are all the points he makes there, and I think all of those are important to understanding what it means to fear God. All right, let's see here. Let's let's throw in a short one, Craig. Maybe yeah, you can、yeah. make us. <laughs> the short questions do not guarantee short answers. You know okay.、That. So、uh, let's see what we can do here. If God gave Solomon wisdom, then why did he have so many wives? Well,、uh, <laughs> it's a great question, and、um, a person with wisdom can still make unwise choices because he's fallen. It's as simple as that.、Um, in fact, he was commanded. The kings、mm-hmm. were commanded not to multiply wives. To themselves, and I think David had six or seven or eight. I'm in Second Samuel right now, and they keep adding up. You know, I think the last count I had was eight. So between wives and concubines, that isn't what God had in mind, and we haven't got to Bathsheba yet. So that'll be another one, or I haven't in my reading.、Mm-hmm. So、um, God told him not to do this, and one of the reasons why is when you, especially when you you marry foreign women. Uh, for political purposes, you end up getting their gods with them, and so Solomon did this stupid thing. And by the way, he did not end well. Just FYI,、mm-hmm. forget about the, the. I mean, the the many wives. That is a problem, but he had other problems too. So he had all this wisdom given by God, and he still made very poor, not just poor choices, unwise choices. He made immoral choices. So、um, I think what that shows us is the capability of everybody or anybody of making really bad decisions if they're not careful, if they're not obedient and to the law or to God's commands, and and or not.、Uh, so that's the first thing. Well, I mean, basically, just got to obey. That's part of wisdom. The the. Well, we were just talking fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord.、Mm-hmm. All right, that's in the beginning of Proverbs. So,、um, but then also in non-moral matters, just to consistently try to be smart. And、um, I, I read Proverbs a lot because there's so much of Proverbs that applies to us on a regular basis. They're not promises, but they're smart. You know, don't be dumb. Do the smart thing. That's why we have Proverbs. And 
Um, it, unfortunately and tragically, Solomon did not take his own advice on uh, a lot of things. Sin ruins everything, even even a person's wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a testimony to the power of sin, the power of our own bad desires and rebellious desires against God and and all those things. So our our capabilities are not enough. There our sin will still find ways mm-hmm. to corrupt all of our capabilities. Unfortunately, that's the case. Luckily, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit to help put our sin to death or we would be hopeless. Right. Well, thank you for your questions. We really love hearing from all of you. Send those on Twitter with the hashtag STRask. We hope to hear from you. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. 